Hey everyone, it's me, Misha, and this is Tell Them I Am. I am fluent in Urdu, but because I spent some of my childhood whitewashing myself, hashtag immigrant problems, Pakistanis don't assume that I speak Urdu, or they think I probably speak broken, accented Urdu. And they're even more shocked when I bust out the big guns. By that, I mean perfectly recited, memorized, obscure poetry. Harf or Mani Kirishta he ahan se admi he vabasta. Admi ke damen se zindagi he vabasta. Usitum nahidarte. I live for that. Surprising people, being more than they expect me to be. A speaker of Urdu. My language is the biggest thing that keeps me rooted to my culture. It's the one thing I know I want to pass on to my kids. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. My parents literally exchanged cassette tapes of, like, their favorite poetry after their second date. It's in my blood. But my brother was born here, and my parents weren't able to teach him Urdu. If you don't work at it, if you don't study and appreciate it, it goes away. My partner doesn't speak Urdu. And I worry. If I'm not speaking it all the time, if I'm not connected to it, how can I pass it on? Language is at the heart of what Omar Effendim does. He's a rapper. And that probably wouldn't be the case if it wasn't for poetry. I'm from a family of four, the youngest of four, and we immigrated to the United States in 1985 when I was four. However, when we had moved that very same year, a Muslim school was established in Alexandria, right outside of D.C. and Virginia. And it was fully funded by the Saudi government. This was basically a school established by the Saudi embassy in Washington, D.C. So we had two hours every day of Arabic and Islamic studies in Arabic. So this was a very kind of immersive experience. You know, this wasn't just like a little Sunday school thing. Like we really had to study Arabic every day. And... You know, I, I very quickly realized that poetry was a huge part of this. And part of that process is memorizing and reciting poetry. You know, this was an oral culture and language, and people didn't write things down. So poetry was how people preserved our stories, and, and essentially, like, our culture was passed down from generation to generation. My family's from Syria, and my mother's from Damascus, you know, one of the longest continuously inhabited cities on planet Earth. And there was one poet in particular from Damascus who was really prominent in the 20th century, considered perhaps one of the most prolific poets of the Arabic-speaking world. His name was Nizar Qabbani. And his poetry was maybe some of the earliest Arabic poetry that I remember my mother reciting to me. 
And that was just a way for her to kind of, I mean, A, get me exposed to the language and to understand how you know beautiful the, the, the poetic aspects of it are, but then also to really give me a sense of what life was like for her growing up in Damascus so that I could kind of feel more connection to, to her birthplace. In the school that I'd gone to, we didn't necessarily study his poetry that often because it was considered sort of racy, you know, uh, whether it was political or sexual or whatever. It just wasn't something that a Muslim school was going to be introducing to kids. <laughs> Nizar Qabani was like really most known for early on in his life uh, for this sort of love poetry and flirtatious sort of poetry that described relationships and even perhaps sex and sexuality in this part of the world that you know, there was so much, like, shame attached to it. He got a lot of fame or infamy because of that early on. And, you know, my mom talks about, you know, all these young girls fawning over Nizad and his poetry. But he was also known for some pretty sharp, critical, you know, political poetry. And, you know, sometimes even got him banned in certain countries, and he spoke pretty adamantly about liberation and about freedom and about dictatorship and all these things. So while, you know, you say his name now, people immediately think of the, the, the love poetry. To me, I was always aware of, like, the fact that there was this other aspect of his work. Nizar Qabani's health started to sort of deteriorate, and he ended up passing away April of 1998. Georgetown University, they decided to put on an event to sort of celebrate his life and his work. There were going to be many important figures there, ambassadors and professors and students who were interested in his work, and it was sort of open to the public. And... I don't know if my mom volunteered me, but basically I was expected to go there and to recite Al-Qasida al-Dimashqiyya, the Damascene poem. This poem in particular just kind of encapsulates so much for people from Damascus, for people who kind of feel just on a deeper level, you know, and are open about their emotions and being vulnerable. The very first few lines, which means this is Damascus, and this is a glass of booze. Verily I love, and some loves can kill you. So he opens the poem talking about this very kind of beautiful and gut-wrenching sort of love that he has for the city that he grew up in. And, you know, that's something that I think a lot of people can relate to, you know, you, the love-hate relationship you have with the place that you sort of grew up in. But I think for him, the pain was more so about maybe it might have been written at a time when he was sort of not welcomed back because of some of the critiques that he'd offered in his poetry. And one line in there I thought was really interesting. He says, So how many young Damascene girls sold their last bracelets to get a glimpse of my poetry or my poetic writings. I just think that's amazing because to me it's like kind of somebody bragging about their latest mixtape and how much girls are like loving it or something, you know. 
So I think the event opened up with different people getting up and speaking, whether they were like local dignitaries or professors, probably both, got up and said a few words about his life. Some people recited his poetry, talked about the impact of his work on the Arabic language and on the Arab world. And then I had to get up and do this poem. <laughs> and at that point, I'd witnessed you know, a handful of people, men and women, get up and recite his work so passionately and so much clearer and you know, just basically better than anything I could ever do. I was 15, and, you know, at that point I'd memorized it, but I'd never performed it in front of, you know, um, people like that. And so, yeah, I mean, needless to say, I was pretty, pretty nervous, and I had, like, a black suit on with, like, a little orange tie, I think, and... I thought I looked really fresh <laughs> and tried my best to be as, you know, dignified and postured as possible in front of everybody. But, you know, at the end of the day, my mom was there and uh, that gave me a sense of, I guess, comfort. And, uh, and I got up and I did my thing. Al-Qasida <laughs> Dimashqi هذه دمشق وهذه الكأس والراح إني أحب وبعض الحب ذباح. I think I stumbled through a few words here and there, but at the end of the day, I did it. حملت شعري على ظهري فأتعبني. ماذا من الشعر يبقى حين يرتاح؟ The rest in peace, Nizakabani. When I got off the stage, I remember feeling. A, like relief, like, whew, that's done, you know? I was probably sweating majorly under my little oversized black suit that we probably got from Marshalls or something. But um, <laughs> I felt good, you know? And again, like I sat down and I think my mom was like, good job, good job. But, you know, there was this part and this part and that part that you probably could have done a little better, but good job. And she like patted me on my back. And this is how my mom is. Like, she's always critical with us, but like, when I'm not there, she's like super complimentary about me and my work and everything and super proud. But, you know, that's how she kind of kept us on our toes, I guess. <laughs> so after I was done, uh, Ammar Rashid got up. Ammar Rashid is Nizar Qabani's younger brother. And he started to speak about his brother. And he was, he was winging it like he didn't have like a speech written. And he was doing that for probably 15, 20 minutes and then kind of towards the end of his speech, he said, look at how impactful my brother's work has been. This evening we've had ambassadors and professors recite his poetry, people from my generation, people from a generation below us, and then even this little rugrat over here, and he kind of points at me. Uh, he said, Fas'oon is lead, which is like, I guess you could kind of say it's kind of like rugrat, you know. That was really important to me, you know, because it not only validated what I had just done and made me feel better. It also reminded me and showed me, I guess, that, you know, when art comes from an honest place, when art is written from, you know, the deepest sources of emotion and truth in a person, it has the ability to resonate across time and space, far beyond the life experience of that, that person. You know, this poem in particular... It's fascinating because he wrote it like it's probably almost 30 years ago now. And 
at the same time, it's just started to mean different things as the years have gone by. You know, when you look at what's been happening in and around Damascus in terms of just the politics and then obviously the, the war, different lines in it start to stick out and carry different weight. There is also, on a personal level, there's a line in this poem where he talks about how many fathers long for a sweet daughter's face. And, you know, for all the years that I've been reciting this poem, certainly when I was in high school and college, but then, you know, after that, as I translated it and turned it into a hip-hop song that a lot of my kind of fans and followers know and appreciate, that line was just something that I kind of ran through. But three months ago, we were blessed with a little baby girl, Alat Salam, and now when I recite it, it's like hard to, you know, keep the tears down because it's like, my gosh, you know, it... It cuts so much deeper now. So you can learn more about Omar Effendim on his Spotify, Twitter, and Instagram, at Effendim. Thank you so much for listening to Tell Them I Am. I am Misha Youssef. This episode of Tell Them I Am was sound designed by James Kim and written by me and James Kim. Mary Knopf is my producer, and don't tell James Kim, but she can rap and he cannot. Arvanix is our editor. Is she the best? Yes, she is. Valentina Rivera and Sean Corey Campbell are our engineers. Our beautiful music is by David Leinard. You can find incredible illustrations of all of our guests as the episodes release. Thank you so much to Emin Ahmed for those. You should really see them. Follow me or Emin on Instagram. Find me at Misha Youssef. Our beautiful series tile art is by Elizabeth Goodspeed. This podcast was originally a production of LAS Studios. Now presented by Higher Ground Audio and Spotify. We will be back tomorrow with another story.